everyone. Great here to be with you this morning. Hope you're well. Hope you're enjoying the extra hours of sunlight that we've got at the moment, which is, a, which is, which is great. Um, we're continuing our series in John, looking at love and light together. So the passage I'm going to look at today is 1 John 3, verses 11 to 24, which highlight the importance of love and faith to us. So we're going to look at that in a minute. But I was trying to sort of think of what's a a good example of love and faith that we all can relate to. And I thought, well, what better example of love and faith is there than marriage, marriage itself, where in a marriage where love and faith in that grow weak and fail, the marriage grows weak and may even fail. But where love and faith in the marriage are are good and strong, the marriage flourishes and grows strong as well. So, I'm going to need a volunteer for this. So if you'd like to volunteer your husband or wife, just raise your hand now and I'll pick somebody. Anyone would like to... Oh, look at this. Paul was the first person up. He's going to volunteer Doreen. Well, as you're married, I need both of you. So why don't you come up here? This is great. I'll get you a chair each. No, 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 you're going to need a chair, and Sam's going to grab me something as well. Here we go. You're going to need to take your shoes off for this game. Your shoes off. Yeah, but no, no, we need them on the stage. We need them on the stage. Let's just move that here. So, yeah, you go and grab a seat. One of you sit here. Get one sit there. Now, when, when you've taken your shoe off, yeah, your sh- both, both shoes need to be off. Now this, some of you may know this game. This game is called the shoe game. And uh, the shoe represents you. So your shoe represents you. Your husband's shoe or wife's shoe represents them. Okay? And uh, you need to hold one of each, one in each hand. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Can everyone see both of them there? If we... If we they're just not allowed to see each other, that's all. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a series of questions, okay? Now, this is a bit of fun, okay? This is not a social experiment. This is not, you know, you know some deep thing here. This is a bit of fun at your expense. Sorry, guys. But, uh, <laughs> so, as I ask these questions, uh, the crowd will either, you know, if you agree together on your answers, the crowd will probably laugh or may cheer. I'm giving you guys clues what you need to do as well. Uh, and if you disagree, then they'll probably laugh, depending on the question, or sort of make an appropriate noise as well. Okay, so let me get my list of questions to ask you. There's 10 questions. Let's see if you agree with each other on these questions. I'll sit down here so I don't block anyone's view. Okay, so who initiated the relationship? No, no, you're supposed to hold the shoe up. Like that. Oh, oh, okay, okay. It's interesting. Uh, who is the better dancer? <laughs> who is the worst driver? <laughs> oh, okay, that's interesting. Uh, who is the most competitive? Yeah, yeah, you're agreeing there. That's very good. Who is the noisiest sleeper? Careful, Paul. Yeah, well done. Yeah. 
who has the smellier feet? Well, you can just sniff, can't you, to see? But uh, the smellier feet. <laughs> okay. Uh, which one of you is more often in trouble with the other one? <laughs> which one of you deserves to be more often in trouble? <laughs> okay. Uh, which, which one of you is the funniest? Oh, very good, very good. And which one of you is the most romantic? Last question. Hey, 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 well done, well done. Let's give a round of applause. Well done, you guys. Here's a little gift for you for, to have on a, a date night sometime to take away. Well done for being such good sports. There you go. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause, guys. They go back to their seat. Thanks, Sam. Put that back that way. Just put these there. That'll do. Leave the other one on there. That's great. That's love and faithfulness for you right there as an example for us all, all to see. Do you know, a well-known preacher said this. He said, faith and love belong together throughout the New Testament. And today as we look at this passage in John, you will see both of them. The words should appear on the screen behind me about faith and love. I'm just actually going to start reading a little bit from verse 1 of chapter 3 and then verse 10, and then I'll move on. It says this. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Then in verse 11 it says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we, have, we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. 
By this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. And as I said, today I want to look at how we as Christians are called to be growing in love and faith for one another. So let's look at the first point, loving one another. Uh, The theologian Howard Marshall, setting this passage in context, says this, having established that the children of God are characterized by righteousness and a freedom from sin, John now describes them as people who love one another. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Do you know, to know Christ is to know love and to know his love in particular for you. You see, you cannot know Christ without being affected and impacted by his love that he has for you. Because the Bible tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John, in this letter, goes on to write in 1 John 4, he says, in this, the love of God was manifest amongst us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And Ephesians 1 tells us that in love he predestined us for adoption into his family. Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. In love you were chosen before the foundation of the world by almighty God. You see, that was done in eternity past, but it's in time, in, in history, that we encounter the love of God. And this love of God, it softens our heart to God and causes us to surrender to Jesus. And then his love in us helps us to live for him, as Ephesians 5 verse 2 tells us that we're called to walk in love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. There's a poem about love by a Rwanda missionary. Uh, Dr. Moyna wrote this uh, about the Christ's love working through us. It says, Joy is love exalting, and peace is love at rest. Patience, love enduring in every trial and test. Gentleness, love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness, love in action, flow from Christ within. Faith is love eyes opened, the living Christ to see. Meekness, love not fighting, but bowed at Calvary. Temperance, love in harness and under Christ's control. For Christ is love in person and love Christ in soul. You see, the Apostle John wants us to know that once we've become a Christian, we are to be transformed by the love of Christ in us. Actually, the Holy Spirit, who the passage makes clear, abides in us. That is what he's wanting to do. He's wanting to make sure that we not only know the love of God in ourselves, but it doesn't just stop with us, but like a river flows on throughout of us into the world around us, into the people around us. In fact, John writes in his gospel that this is the mark of a true Christian, that we would love one another. It says this, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, 
All people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, people often quote this in a context sort of evangelistically. If we love one another, then the world's going to know and they're going to turn to Jesus. And it's not necessarily wrong to apply it this way, but actually the main thing that Jesus is getting at here is that loving one another is the mark of a true disciple of Jesus. You know, Jesus says elsewhere, by their fruits you will know them. Well, this is one of the fruits of a true disciple of Jesus Christ, that they love one another. And of course, he's just building on what he's already taught them about when he's asked what's the greatest commandment, reaching back into Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, verse uh, 18. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this new command is actually based in an old commandment uh, as well. But because this message has been preached since the beginning of Christianity, wherever the gospel was preached, they talked about loving one another. John could also write in this passage here that you would have heard it from the beginning. As soon as you heard about Jesus, you would have heard about how we're to live and how we're to love one another. My friends, we at Christchurch, we're called to love one another. That should be a real characteristic of us as a church. You know, and we know as a church that it doesn't just stop with us. It goes to the world around us. The parable of the Good Samaritan draws it out. Who's my neighbor? Well, it's, it's anyone who comes across your path. Jesus tells us we're even called to love our enemies, those people that we think, oh, I just can't stand that person. Actually, Jesus says that's not all right. We are called to love our enemies. And if you knew, or if you know about your history, you'd understand that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jew at the, t uh, at the time. So that's why Jesus highlights that. So we're called to love one another. An important point here to, to realize as well, as, I, as we talk about loving one another, you know, as a popular song goes, I shan't sing it to you, but you, you, most of you uh, will know it, that, you know, that love is all around us, and so the feeling grows. And uh, this culture that we're in at the moment, the films, the current films and media, are obsessed with the feeling of being in love. That's what they, they focus on. So it's important to understand that the Bible is not talking about that type of love when it's addressing that we should love one another. You know, over 22 years ago, when I fell in love with my lovely wife down here, and I was so full of that super loved up feeling, which I still am actually, I still, still love her very much, blessed in, in, that, in that way. Actually though, and this is true for all relationships, at the beginning my love was quite selfish. It was about how she made me feel. I loved her, but she, you know, I and I wanted her to be with me because I wanted her to be with me. And uh, I, I, uh, the way she made me feel was so nice. And uh, it, it was very much about me. And actually, that's often what the feeling of love is like at, at the beginning. And if that's the end of where your love goes for somebody, you can as quickly fall out of love as you did fall in love with somebody However, as love matures, as love grows, it becomes less about you 
and more about them. Less about how they make you feel and more about you wanting them to know your love. You doing what's best for them and not necessarily what's best for you. You sacrificing your rights and your desires to please them. It costs you, but may is but for the benefit of them. And that's the love that John is writing about here. He says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This type of love in the world is very rare. You don't see it there. And firstly, and primarily, and let's not just jump over this point, it's actually due to our own selfishness. That's why primarily this type of love is rare. But secondly, because all of mankind, all of us are sinful, it's also rare because we uh, often know it's been abused and people get used as they show this type of love. So they, they, they stop showing it. Which, can I just underline, is not okay in a marriage situation. You're both called to be showing this sacrificial love. And if just one partner is, Chris and Lynn are back from holiday, they're refreshed, they do our marriage course here, they'd love to speak to you more about that, that sort of thing. But it's also not okay in friendship relationships uh, as, as well. If friendship relationships is all very one-sided like that, then you actually need to recognize that that person is not a true friend. And you need to put appropriate boundaries in place, which means you're prepared to show the love of God to that person to this extent, but no further because you actually need space and emotional energy to show other people the love of God as well, not just that one person who would happily take everything that you've got and more from, from you. You see, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus, according to John chapter 2, verse 24, he did not entrust himself to the crowds. Actually, he only entrusted himself to the disciples. He says, I no longer call you servants, you're my friends, because you know, I let you know what I'm about. I let you know who I am. And in fact, of those disciples, he had Peter, James, and John, who were his closest friends. Jesus' ministry was not dictated to him by the needs of the people around him either. You know, there's that healing at the pool of Bethsaida. There's a room full of people, and he just goes to the one person and heals the one man who had been crippled for 36 years, or 38 eight years, sorry. Uh, in his ministry, you know, people came to him, oh, Jesus, Jesus, your friend Lazarus, he's sick, come at once, come. He stays where he is two days before he goes. You see, to use Jesus' words, Jesus says the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus could say, what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me to. So what I'm trying to make clear to you as we're talking about this sacrificial love, which we are called to show people uh, in, in not just in word and in talk, but in deed and in truth, is that actually we are called to do it as God leads us, not as people try to demand uh, from you. Your life 
if you're following the Holy Spirit's lead in your life, will be full of lots of specific events where you have demonstrated the Father's love to those that he leads you to. This type of love wasn't common in John's day either. It's important to understand that. As, a, as you look for this passage and you see the word love, love, love uh, in there, you, it's actually the Greek word, it's based upon the Greek word agape to describe this sacrificial, this charitable love that the New Testament talks about, which includes loving strangers and loving our enemies as well. And whilst this word was a Greek word, it was in use, and it can be traced back even to, to Homer and that sort of thing in the 8th century BC, it was used rarely in Greek writing. When they talked about love, they loved to talk about eros, love of sex. They loved to talk about philia, friendship love and brotherly love. They loved to talk about felusia, uh, which is love of yourself. Does it sound familiar to the type of love that we see in society around us? The Christians were the ones who took the word agape and used it and made it a popular word, so much so that it became the epitome of what love should look like, sacrificial love. Which incidentally, if you were to look at a lot of the old uh, films and you know, classic love stories, actually that's what they're about. They're about sacrificial, charitable love. And my friends, how the world needs to see this love again, this sacrificial, this charitable love. It needs to know it. And you know what? God wants to use you to bring about this love to the people around you so that you can demonstrate it. We're called not to be like Cain, who allowed hatred to grow in his heart, so much so that it led to him murdering his brother. And Jesus on this is very clear. He teaches us, actually, we're to deal with those sorts of sins in our mind. talks about, you know, if you have hate for someone, it's like you've committed murder. If you have lust in your mind, it's like you've committed adultery. We're to deal with these things up here when they're, when they're there, you know, whether it be hatred, whether it be bitterness, whether it be pride or envy or jealousy or unforgiveness. We're called to deal with them in our minds, in our hearts, and then they won't come out in actions or, must, uh, or much less likely to come out in our actions if we're dealing with them in our minds. And whilst this is true for us as Christians, in the passage, John's not really getting at that. It's not why he's brought in the story of Cain and Abel in there. What he's trying to help us understand as Christians is as we go about in the world demonstrating God's love, as we go about showing that love to the people around us, saying basically, don't be surprised that the world doesn't, uh, you know, turn full, uh, you know, and turn to Jesus straight away. Don't be surprised that the world hates you as you do it. Yes, there will be some that the Father draws through that love. Yes, there will be some that on the day that God visits will glorify your Father in heaven. But actually, unless God's at work, it will will cause hatred to grow in people's hearts for you, just as it did from Cain towards Abel. You see, David Jackman, a, a, a famous preacher, he's still alive, but he was sort of more famous in the late 80s, early 90s, 
Uh, he says this about the time of John the Gnostics. Remember, we talked about that in one of our sermons, those that really valued uh, knowledge. He said, the Gnostics were wrong when they identified mankind's greatest problem as ignorance. Interesting, isn't it? We, in our society, put a lot of down now to, oh, it's just because they're uneducated. If they were more educated, they would be better people. No, no, he says, the, uh, he, he says, mankind's greatest problem is not ignorance. It is rebellion. That explains why Christians should not be surprised when their love is met by hatred. And the passage tells us and shows us that we are to continue loving people even in the face of hatred and opposition towards us. And just to say while we're uh, on this, verse 15 is not saying that a murderer cannot put their faith in Jesus and find forgiveness and eternal life, as, as some have uh, done that. They have uh, found faith and forgiveness in Jesus Christ and had their lives transformed. What John is doing here, after highlighting the world's hatred against us, is bringing it back to us in, the, in these uh, verse 14 and 15 and saying, look, that's how the world behaves. Actually, you as a believer, if you have eternal life dwelling in you, you cannot have this hatred in you. You've got to deal with it because the Holy Spirit, the moment you become a child of God, will be pulling on your heartstrings saying, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this hatred, with this unforgiveness in your life. And my friends, if that's you, don't ignore the Holy Spirit's promptings this morning on you. It's serious stuff. John is even questioning, well, you know, actually, we know that people that think like this, they don't really have eternal life in them. Actually, God hasn't really done that saving work, because if he had, they would, be, they, would, they would be dealing with it. It's that serious. As Christians, we're called to overcome hatred by love. Or as Paul says in Romans 12, verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. John explains in 1 John verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 4 to 5, he says, he says this, The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. As we put our faith in Jesus, he causes us to want to deal with all these wrong attitudes and fills us with his love for those around us. But that verse also highlights, I just quoted from 1 John 5, that in John's mind, that to believe is just the verb of faith, which brings me on to my last point, which is faith in Jesus. And although it's my last point, because it comes later in the passage, it's the you know, bottom half of this passage, it actually precedes loving one another. You see, the Apostle Paul, when he writes, his writing style is, uh, is very similar to our own. He sort of builds an argument, builds it up, and then sort of moves on. The Apostle John, in his writing, is much more Hebrew in how he approaches things. And he's like, you know, think of a, a bird of prey circling around. He circles around an issue and sort of comes back to it, and then comes back to it, as you will see throughout his letters. And he's already talked about faith, and now he's coming back to look at faith again from a different angle. The theologian Howard Marshall says this, 
It should be emphasized that spiritual life does not result from loving our brothers. Love for our brothers is the evidence, not the basis of spiritual life. You see, it's about your faith. You see, if, you, if it was about our works, our loving one another, then we would have no confidence before God. And our heart would often condemn us, as John talks about in that passage. It would, it would condemn us. We say, oh, have I loved enough people today? I'm probably not, is actually the answer. Or actually, as you look into your heart, you realize, oh, there's all these wrong motives still in there that I need to deal with. And we would have no confidence before God because we'd realize, actually, oh, I've not really been that great today. I've done a bit, but not, not loads. So loving one another is not the basis of our faith. Otherwise, we'd have no confidence. It's actually, we would re- we'd realize we fall far short of what God has for us. Maybe that's true for some of you here today, that you're struggling, thinking, oh, I don't feel confident before God. My friends, there's good news, as John says. It's not our love for one another that's the basis of our faith. It is the fruit of our faith in God's love and grace shown to us in Jesus Christ. You know, John says in John 5, in John's Gospel, he says, people ask Jesus, what what must we do to be doing the works that God wants us to do? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. You see, in love, God sent his one and only son to come and live a perfect life amongst us, fully pleasing God the Father, and then chose to die on the cross for the things that you and I have done, have said, and have thought that are wrong and that offend God. He then rose again victorious three days later as death could not keep him, but also as a sign to all those who put their faith in him that they too would rise again on the last day. Or as uh, John says in this passage we read, if we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, then we can know for certain that we too will rise again to be with him and have eternal life. That's how we get right with God. That's how we have confidence with God, by asking him for forgiveness, recognizing our failures, not trying to improve uh, ourselves, make ourselves good enough, because we would never get there. But as we recognize our failures and turn to Jesus, he makes us good enough for God so we can have confidence before him. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, and you're not in that place, then just pray this prayer in your heart along with me. Just pray this prayer of surrender to him. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus to die for me. Please forgive me of all that I've done that offends you. And by your spirit, make me a new person and help me live the rest of my life for you. In Jesus' name, I pray this. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that this morning, please come and grab me afterwards. The Bible talks about, you know, believing in our heart, but then we must confess with our mouth.
as well. So come and grab me and let me know that you've put your faith in Jesus. And when we do that, as most people in the room have already done that, God, Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in you and in me. He dwells in us. Or as John wrote in this passage, he says, Abide in God and God in us. The uh, 7th and 8th century uh, monk, Bede, says this, Let God then be a home for you, and you be a home for God. Remain in God, and let God remain in you. You see, the Holy Spirit in you is the one who is wanting to produce Christ-like character, which involves loving one another involves loving the people around you and the people that God brings across your path. Once he's in you, he's the one who produces the fruits of the Holy Spirit that God wants to see in us. You see, if we were to love one another properly, if we were to show that love, then actually part of showing that love would mean that we want to point people towards Jesus. So our loving people always involves pointing them to Jesus, whether they know him or not, because actually Jesus has the very best for, best for them. That's why Calvin writes on verse 24, he writes this, The sum of what is said is that when God's Spirit rules and governs our life, we are clearly seen to be his children. And since we are his children, and his Holy Spirit is leading us, it's John, John can write in this passage here about the commandment that God, singular, that commandment that God has told us to do, which is have faith in him, but not only faith, not to only to believe in the Son of God, he can bolt on the back of that, because a byproduct of our faith is that we will love one another. Just as thunder follows lightning and we saw a lot of lightning this week it was fantastic on a Tuesday night I'm, I'm sure many of you would have would have seen that thunderstorm actually loving one another also is a byproduct of our faith in Jesus Christ and through our faith we can have confidence as we approach God in prayer knowing that he has heard us and that he has good planned for us. The promise is certain because it's based on God's word. So we can come to him in confidence. But just as I said earlier, John, you know, circles around things. Later on, he tells us, he's not saying when we come to him in prayer, we know that we can receive it. So like God's some giant genie in the sky, we can just you know, go to him with a prayer and, okay, yes, of course you can have that. John later on comes back to this and adds to it in, in uh, 5 verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, then he hears us. You see, the Holy Spirit, as we allow the Holy Spirit to produce his fruits in us of, of, of loving one another and other things, he's wanting to get you to the point where, just like Jesus could say, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's wanting to get you to that point too, where you're living a life of obedience. Not that we ever fully get there this side of eternity, but that's the trajectory that the Holy Spirit is trying to take us. He's trying to shape us, and he will shape your heart and your desires so that actually your main focus 
in life, as we pause in our worship time to focus on, is what does God want for us? What does God want? And as we pray in what God wants to work through you, we can have confidence knowing that God will bring about all that he has purposed to achieve through you and all that he's purposed to achieve through me. You see, as Christians, we have the joy, and it is a joy, of co-laboring with God, our Father, in following the Spirit's promptings and leading to fulfill all that Jesus has commanded us. So in, in conclusion, to finish, Christians are called to be full of love and faith. For our faith in the love of God, shown to us through his Son, Jesus Christ, results in the Spirit producing in us an increasing love for one another. That's what God is wanting to do in you and me. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can I invite the, the band to come back up here?